observance day. We come together as is our usual practice. This practice has actually been preserved since even before the time of the Buddha. Traditional in ancient India for spiritual seekers to gather on the full moon day or a half moon or new moon day to keep precepts, meditate and listen to instruction. practice has been kept up right through until the current time. And our teacher, Limpo Cha, encouraged us to do this, to come together on the one prat, the monk day, he would say. And it's a good way for many people to come together and practice keeping the precepts, staying in harmony, and listening to the Dhamma. Because we need to hear the Dhamma from time to time to remind us how to practice. For newcomers, it's helpful to give more understanding of what the practice involves for those more experienced, it can deepen that understanding. But having heard the Dhamma, then our task is to apply it and put it into practice for ourselves. <coughs> as Lumpur Cha reminded us when we listen to the Dhamma or read the Dhamma. This is like counting somebody else's money. And we can only do that for so long. In the end, we have to go off and earn our own money through our own practice. So that's why we're here at this time together to meditate, to train our own hearts and minds. And the Buddha pointed out the cause of our suffering in life is always avicca, ah meaning without, vicca meaning knowledge. So our lack of knowledge, sometimes we say our ignorance, or a misunderstanding of truth. When we don't understand the truth, it's very easy for the mind to become deluded and misinterpret its experience of the world. And the main way we misinterpret our experience is we grasp at everything as self, me, mine, myself, belonging to myself. So as we come to meditate, we're learning to bring up 
the opposite of avicca, which is dicca, knowledge, understanding. And the Buddha pointed out that when humans develop real knowledge of the way things are, of the truth, the effect on the mind is to brighten the mind. So it's synonymous. Having knowledge or wisdom is synonymous with brightness, radiance of mind. So when we worship at a shrine with a Buddha statue, we light candles and the candle flame symbolizes the brightness of knowledge, of wisdom that is the direct cause for liberating the human mind from avicca, ignorance, lack of knowledge. So when we remove avicca, vicca is left and the mind is free from suffering, it's liberated. So the way we gain knowledge through the practice is developing mindfulness and clear comprehension, which are the two qualities we're particularly focusing on when we practice meditation. In Thai they call it the Pu rule and the one who knows. So our teachers were always talking about developing or cultivating the one who knows as we meditate. So when our mind is directed to the breath, we pay attention to the in-breath, the out-breath. When the mind knows the breath, it's fully aware of the breath. This is what we call the Puru, the one who knows. And this is a, you might say, a skill that we have to develop throughout our life, regularly, frequently, because our habit is to lose our awareness, lose the one who knows, and get caught up in moods, emotions, mental proliferation all the time. This is what we find when we come to meditate. At first it's quite difficult to keep the mind with its object, <coughs> to stay aware of the breath for more than a few moments is a challenge. We're aware of the in and out breath for a few moments and then away the mind goes, caught up into memories, thought patterns, distracted by sounds, sensations in the body. Even just to sit still is quite a challenge. But this is the challenge. We have to learn how to pay attention to our meditation object, the breath, as a way, a method to bring up the one who knows and make the one who knows very firm very strong. And it's out of this that knowledge, understanding will arise. Because as the mind becomes firm, 
solid, paying attention to its object, the breath. Then we can see the mind from moment to moment, or we know the mind from moment to moment. Because it's with the breath, we're training it to stay with the breath, be mindful of the breath. Then it's not anywhere else. It's not caught up in any other thoughts, feelings. So it's as if we have the mind under our control. And as the mind becomes more under our control and we feel more relaxed, more calm, the mind becomes still. And it's from this stillness that the truths that the Buddha was pointing to become clear to us. The truths that this body, the mind, our feelings, memories, thoughts are impermanent. subject to constant arising and ceasing. As the one who knows becomes more clear, more strong, we can see our own thoughts arising, passing away. We can see the changing reactions in the mind, the sensations, arising, ceasing. And this is the kind of knowledge that helps liberate the mind from its wrong views, from its clinging and wishing and desiring to hold on to things, have things, own things. So even though meditation requires effort, perseverance, patience, what we gain from it as a result is the highest, most valuable kind of thing a human being can gain. It's the knowledge that liberates the mind from suffering. That has to be more valuable than material things, wealth, property, money, or any of those things that we can have in the world. But it has to come about through our own efforts. And we have to see that the qualities that we develop in meditation are qualities that we keep having to return to and cultivate in daily life. When I first began meditation, I was about 17 years old. When I left school, I was already reading and beginning the practice of meditation, but I didn't yet fully understand how to do it or its role in our spiritual practice. I thought practicing meditation was something you just do in monasteries or meditation centers. And when you leave those places, then you don't do it anymore. You just carry on with your life and let your mind think and do what it wants. But then I went with a friend traveling through Europe to the Middle East and Africa. And for the first part of the trip, we were with a group of people going through Europe. <coughs> and there was 
there's one young man in that group who is obviously a regular meditator and found great peace and happiness from his practice of meditation. And I noticed when we would stop somewhere on our travels for shopping or recreation, instead of following other people into the restaurant or the shop or looking around, sightseeing, he'd go and find a tree and sit under it and meditate until it was time to move on. And it made me think that training the mind is really something that's ongoing. It's not related to a place, even though coming to stay in monasteries and Buddhist centers is helpful. It's not practice is not limited to such places because our mind goes with us wherever we go. Whether it, we're in the monastery or at home or at work or traveling, our mind goes with us. So these qualities that we're learning and developing, we can keep cultivating in all postures, all activities, at all places. As in Chai used to say, the place of practice is right here, meaning our own mind and body in the present moment, wherever we are, whether we're in the temple or monastery or outside. And those people who find they really improve and progress in their Dhamma practice are those who understand this point that it's something that is ongoing, that we have to keep coming back to, cultivating, cultivating the mindfulness, cultivating the precepts and virtuous behavior, cultivating generosity, kindness, compassion, cultivating patience, and so on. All the different skillful qualities that we use to support the practice and to train and develop this mind in a good way have to be cultivated on a daily basis, regularly, to the point where it becomes the center of our life. And those people, whether they are monastics or lay people, who have really benefited from the Buddhist teachings, have made them central to their life. then everything else is put into perspective, becomes more peripheral, superficial. So although we have many other duties and responsibilities in our lives towards family, work, society, the one who takes the Dhamma and the practice of cultivating, cultivating their heart with the qualities of Dhamma will be somebody who really comes to see and understand the Dhamma because they make it a priority. As we know, the Buddha reminded us every day to think about the impermanence of life. We won't be here forever. And then Chai used to say, ask yourself, why am I born? Why am I here? What is the purpose of human life? It's really an opportunity to develop a 
and someone dies, is that the end of the story? Is it all just finished there? Or is it possible that the human mind continues after death? And the Buddhist teachings explain to us that the mind continues according to karma. Our accumulated karma, good, bad, habitual, occasional, heavy, light. All kinds of karma are affecting this mind. And at death, the karma is, if it's not exhausted yet, if we haven't reached Nibbana, then it will be affecting the mind as we, as we die and the mind and the body separate. And somebody who practices cultivating the Buddhist path, dana, sila, bhavana, through their life. Somebody who sees the value of training the mind, training the heart, to let go of ignorance, let go of delusion, attachment that leads to suffering. They see the value of cultivating mindfulness and wisdom. These qualities will become our true wealth inside our heart, which will stay with us even at the moment of death. So the Buddha said, if you're truly mindful when you get to the end of your life, you don't even have to be caught into fear. If you're not sure how to meditate at the end of your life, then recollect the Buddha. If you're afraid or unsure of yourself, whether it's in a challenging situation or just at the end of your life, the Buddha said, recollect the Buddha. Recite Bhutto, recollect the qualities of the Buddha. This will bring up this quality of knowing, the one who knows, or mindfulness. And the mind, if it holds on to that, then this will dispel, disperse fear, worry, anxiety that might naturally come up. So it's a very powerful meditation object when we recollect the Buddha. Or if we're used to meditating on the breath, then we recollect the breath. And the more we become mindful and aware of our meditation object, then the less the different negative and stressful mental tendencies can come into the mind. They can't take over the mind as long as we're mindful. So this is why when we practice meditation in this way, it becomes a refuge that we've got with us all the time. Whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, whether in the monastery, on a plane, in our home, out at work, it doesn't matter. We have a true refuge that we've developed ourselves through our own efforts internally. As the Buddha said, he can only guide us to the beginning of the path. The path is the Eightfold Noble Path that we've heard about. But the Buddha's task was to guide us to the 
beginning of that pathway, but he can't walk the path for it. And the Buddha had already done it, and out of compassion he gave this teaching to the world. And it's of such powerful quality, such good quality, it's still here with us today. But we are the ones who have to walk the path. We have to do it for ourselves, each individual has to do it for themselves. And that's the nature of Dhamma. Dhamma is realized by each individual for themselves. Once we understand Dhamma, we can share it with our family or friends or other people. But the nature of Dhamma is <coughs> has to be realized individually through our practice. It's not something that we can just wish for and hope that some superior being will drop it in our lap or somehow transmit it to us. It has to come about through our own efforts with our practice. So the more we practice, the more sincere effort we put into the practice, the more we get out of it. This is something that maybe only over time we come to understand. And when you have practiced for a few years, you can look back at your own efforts and maybe notice some changes that happen, have happened in your mind. And you realize that even though the Dhamma practice you've done required effort, sacrifice, letting go of certain attachments and so on, you might be able to see the value of it over a period of time. You can realize this is something that's very useful to me, even though it's not easy. As I say, realizing the Dhamma is not necessarily so far away. It's not necessarily something that only enlightened beings do. This is somehow some sometimes how we look at it. We have an ideal in our mind and we think, oh the Buddha, the enlightened arahants, they realize the Dhamma. I can never do that. I don't have enough merit. I don't have enough Bharami. Actual realization of the Dhamma can be just having a moment of mindfulness and insight seeing a certain thought that we're clinging to is impermanent and letting it go. You might have moments of insight where you realize the Dhamma on a daily basis and we almost overlook it. We don't realize that we're actually realizing the Dhamma just the same as the Buddha. As you practice mindfulness, and keeping the precepts in daily life, there'll be times, say, when you're tempted to <coughs> fall into moods of anger or anxiety, and maybe you have some very strong attraction that really leads to a lot of greed coming up in your mind. But if you can bring up some mindfulness and clarity and see the suffering of holding on to that particular thought, 
and then you let it go. You give it up. You stop clinging to it. You allow it to cease because of its nature of being impermanent anyway. You just allow it to cease from your mind. Well, that's a moment of realization. That's realizing the Dhamma, just the same as the Buddha, Lumpur Cha, or any enlightened teacher. If they practice in that way, we can practice in that way. If we put our effort into the practice, we can let go of our greed, our anger, our delusion. Little by little, moving, cultivating the path, following in the footsteps of the Buddha. listening to Dhamma and now we'll take a break I'll leave the talk there